Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. This message is from the series Ephesians, Who We Are and What We Do as Believers, and was preached on August 8, 2021. Why are we here? I'm asking that in the, the, the biggest possible way. Why do you exist? What is your purpose? Why were you born? Why are you here? We're continuing our study of an incredible book, Ephesians. I shared with you last week that I believe it's Paul's masterpiece. He spends three chapters telling us who we are and why we're here, and then he spends three chapters telling us, therefore, this is how you should live as followers of Christ. It's a great study for new believers, but Ephesians is so deep that it's a great study even for those who have been Christians for many, many years. If you only had access to one of Paul's books, I believe Ephesians would be the one that is most helpful. So in last week, we answered the question, who are we? And in this week, we want to answer the question, why are we here? Now, I hope you can answer that question. I hope you can answer it strongly and you know why you exist. And I want you to think about that today. And, and I want you to start coming to some conclusions. Why are we here? Now, I know we all occasionally ask that question. Sometimes it's just in the short term. Sometimes we're in a job that we don't like, and we ask, what am I doing here? Sometimes you're with a crowd of people that you just don't fit, and you ask, why am I here? I, I was in high school walking home from a high school football game, on my way to church, because we had a, an after-game thing going on at church, and my school and my church were only about three blocks away, so I was on my way walking with some friends, and they took a, a, a detour through a schoolyard and caught up with a, another group of, of uh, our friends, and then they all sat down, so I sat down with them, and the next thing I knew, cigarettes were being lit, and it wasn't tobacco, it was marijuana, which was very prevalent in the 70s and in, in, in my era. And as the cigarettes were being passed around, I can remember asking myself something like, why am I even here? And a friend of mine and I got up and walked on to church. Now that's a short-term question, why am I here? But I'm asking the bigger picture. Why do we exist? What is our purpose? Why are we here? Um, psychology today says that why am I here is what they call the big question. Unfortunately, doing some reading on their website this week, I was not at all impressed with their answers because they were teaching people to take God out of that equation, and I don't think you can take God out of that equation. My experience as a pastor and a counselor teach me that people who can't answer that question who aren't sure what their purpose is and why they exist, they're the ones that are more likely to become addicted to harmful things or harmful behaviors. They're more likely to have many broken relationships. They're more likely to have serious moral, ethical, and maybe even criminal lapses, and they're more likely to commit suicide. Some people who don't know their purpose fall into a rut. 
And you've met people like this, and maybe you've even been someone like this at one time in your life. You, you, you just do the same thing every day. And so people in a rut get up in the morning at the same old time, eat the same old breakfast, say good morning to the same old kids, take them to the same old school in the same old car, go to the same old job, eat the same old thing for lunch, go home at the same old time, watch the same old shows on TV, go to bed at the same old time, I'll be careful, next to the same old lady, and, 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 and that's their life. They live, but with no sense of purpose, no sense of joy, no sense of adventure. It's just the same old, same old every day. Others who've never found their purpose go to the other extreme. They're constantly looking for more money, more thrills, more excitement. They're always looking, but never finding. It's important to us that we have a sense of purpose, and we know why we're here. And I pray that today you either find that purpose, or at least you take some beginning explorations to, to ask God that question, why am I here? If you know your purpose, I'm hoping that God re-enthuses you with it today. And be careful on this. If you're in a transition phase of life, for example, you're, you're a new grad, or you're in a new school, or you've lost a job, or you're in a new job, or you're in a new relationship, or you're recently retired, or you're going through grief, or you recently have moved, it's even more important that you find your purpose because you're vulnerable when you're in transition. And so I want you to be able to look into the Word and find a sense of purpose and be, begin to be able to answer that question for yourself. Why am I here? Why was I born? What's the reason behind it all? So I want us to read Ephesians 1, 11 through 14, and, and there'll be some truths there that will help you answer the question. Now, like a lot of what Paul wrote, this, this is not simple stuff. It's kind of deep. So you have to, um, as, as one of my professors in, in uh, seminaries always used to say, he said, wake up, put your thinking caps on. You got to think deeply about what this means. But there's some powerful stuff in just a few verses here. So Ephesians 1, 11 through 14, let's stand together. And we're going to read it. Follows right up with what Paul said last week about who we are. And here's how it reads. In him we were also chosen, or in many translations, and in the footnote of the NIV, I like it better, were made heirs, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of your truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now don't sit down, because I want us to do something we don't always do. It's a short passage. I want us to read it again. In him we were also chosen, or were made heirs, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. 
And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You may be seated. Now, I want to share with you five truths based on this passage that will help you find your purpose and help you begin to answer the question, why am I here? Why was I born? Why do I exist? And so I want you to think deeply about these things. They're not going to give you all the answers, but they will set the foundation to help you find why you are here. And the first point in this passage is that we are heirs. Some translations say that we were chosen. Others say we have been given an inheritance or that we were made an inheritance. I like that thought, and I think it's the best translation, the word inheritance or heir. I am an heir, similar to what Paul said in Romans 8. I am a joint heir with Christ. Now, let me remind you some of the things I told you last week. We were chosen to be part of God's family. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we were adopted into the family of God. But I want you to understand that when, when, when you're talking about you and I are part of God's family. We're not part of the extended family. He, he used the phrase sons and daughters. And so we are heirs. Don't think of you as God's seventh cousin three times removed, if you even know what that means. Think of yourself as a son or a daughter who is an heir with Christ. You are so close to God that when he died and Jesus did, you get the same inheritance as Jesus. Now think about what an heir is. There are two main definitions of the word, and they both apply. An heir, number one, is a person legally entitled to the property of another on that person's death. So when I die, my wife gets everything. And when we die, my children get everything. They are my heirs. Sorry, I didn't put any of you in my will by, by name, but I do have my wife and my children there. They are my heirs. They are the ones closest to my heart. And though I love all, they are the ones that I love the most. They are my heirs. And so think of yourself in that way. You are so close to God and such an important person in his family that you get an inheritance when Jesus dies, and Jesus already died. And so we already are beginning to experience the blessings of Christ because we're heirs with Jesus. And, and so that, that, that's one definition is that, is that a person is legally entitled to the property when one dies. The second definition of an heir is that it's a person who is inheriting and continuing the legacy of a predecessor. And that applies to us as well. I'm an heir of Jesus and that now that he is no longer physically here on this earth, I am called on to carry out the work and the legacy of Jesus. And so when Jesus died, I get his blessings and I'm also called upon to carry on his work. So when you're trying to figure out why you're here, remember who you are. 
You are part of God's family, an heir of Jesus, and part of the family that carries on his work. Now that ties to what we said last week about who we are. Understanding who we are, we're an heir of Christ, helps us understand why we're here. Truth number two is that we are part of God's plan. Now let me read verse 11 again because it could cause a, a lot of discussion. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in accordance with the purpose of his will. I guarantee if you do some deep reading in Christian theology, you will find all kinds of debates and discussions about predestination and election and exactly what that means. I gave you the very short version because as far as I can tell, Honestly, both predestination and free will are taught in the Bible. They're both there. Now, as soon as I figure out how those two things work together, I'll explain it to you. But don't hold your breath. I've been working on this for pretty much all of my 63 years. How did God give me free will and still predestine me? How did he leave it to me to make the choice to follow Jesus and still elect me? I don't know how that all works. I'm just telling you that they're both true. They're both in the Bible. We've got to accept both and don't let it devise us because no one has perfectly explained this. But this much is clear from the very beginning. From the very beginning, as we read last week, from before the beginning. God had a plan, and he has this amazing ability to work out all things, the good and the bad, the smart stuff we do and the stupid things we do. He has this amazing ability to work it all out according to his plan and his will. And, and so if we'll seek him, then we can understand God has a plan. I'm not just left on my own to figure this out. I don't have to be smart enough to figure out why I'm here. I have to seek God because he has a plan for me and he will let me know. Sometimes, at least for me, God acts a little bit like my GPS does when I make a wrong turn. You make a wrong turn and, and you see rerouting. Turn left here, turn right here, make a U-turn here. I, I made a decision on my way um, Friday, I went down to see my dad. I'm doing a lot of, uh, of care for him. And I went down to, to see my dad. And I always plug in his address so I can call him and tell him about what time I'm going to be there. I know exactly where he lives. But uh, um, on the way, I decided, no, I need to stop and I need to go to the bank because I need to get my dad some money. And so I turned. And immediately my GPS started flashing things at me. Turn here, turn left, turn right. Make a U-turn. You're going in the wrong direction. Listen, a lot of times that's what God does to us, but Siri and GPS sometimes makes mistakes. God never does. Never. He always has a way. No matter how stupid you and I have been, no matter how much we have messed up, He always has a way if we will turn to Him to get back to the route and get back on path of what he wants for us. I've talked to too many people who, who don't seem to understand this. No, I've messed up. I'm outside of God's plan. Man, am I, am I in a horrible situation. There's no way now that my life can count for God. Listen, God has this amazing ability, no matter where you are, to get you back on path. He had a plan 
from the very beginning, and we're part of that. So when you're trying to figure out why you're here, remember that before the beginning of time, God had a plan for you. And when you're hopelessly off track, if you go back to him, he will always, and I emphasize the word always, he will always be able to put you back in the center of his will so you can begin to live his purpose. And it doesn't matter what age you are or how many mistakes you've made. And I know sometimes you think, man, it's just I've gone too far. I've done too many things. No, God can put you back on path at any time. So why are we here? Remember that we are heirs, part of God's family, that we are part of God's plan. Truth number three, we are, and, and catch the phrase, we are in Christ. Twice in this passage, Paul uses the phrase about us, we are in Christ. We are believers in Christ. As a matter of fact, in Christ is the most common phrase used in the book of Ephesians. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. It's not just that we are believers in Jesus. It's not just that God loves us. When we believe in Jesus, we become united with Jesus. And even on this earth, well before we get to heaven, we are with Christ. We are in Christ. It's not that God is way up there and I'm down here. Christ is in me. We are in Christ. Listen to Jesus' prayer part of it in John chapter 17. I really honestly believe this is the most beautiful prayer in the Bible. Jesus was praying, and here's the neat thing I always loved about this. He prayed for his disciples, and then he prayed for those of us who would become believers through the work of his disciples, and that's us. So he was praying for us 2,000 years ago in, in, with his disciples. The night before he was crucified, he prayed for us, and it reads this way. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's us, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So when Jesus comes into our lives, it's not just a philosophical thing. It's not just an intellectual thing. It's a union, Jesus and believer, patterned after the union of God and Jesus, inseparable. And so when I say we are in Christ, I want you to understand Christ is in you. You may not always feel him, and sometimes that, that's just the way of the world, and sometimes it's because of our own stubbornness we've walked away. But we can never really, honestly, totally walk away from Jesus because if we are believers, we are in Christ. So when you're trying to figure out who you are, remember that you are in Christ. Don't think of God as just up there telling you where to go. He's not a puppet master pulling strings. We are in Christ. He is right here in me. He is helping me, guiding me, leading me, sometimes even carrying me. And so since you are in Christ, find your purpose in Christ. Because Jesus is in you. That's why I reacted so strongly against what psychology today said. Because they specifically said, don't find your purpose in something external like God. They didn't realize that God is not external to me. I am in Christ. So why are we here? Get the truth, and then you can begin to make the decision. 
We are heirs. We are part of God's plans. We are in Christ. Number four, we are given a deposit, which is his Holy Spirit. It's in verse 13 and 14. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. A deposit is a small part of the whole that guarantees something in the future. So God gave us a deposit. He marked us with a seal. He gave us the Holy Spirit so that we can know that this salvation and eternal life and heaven is not just a pipe dream. God gave us a little bit of him here on earth, and so he gave us the Holy Spirit, an advance, a little advance, just a little advance on what we will get later. So when we believed, and notice that part of the verse, when we believed, there's a lot of crazy teachings about the Holy Spirit out there, but when we believed, we were given the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came into us and marked us as His from that time on. And so today, He is God with us. He comforts us, he teaches us, he helps us, he empowers us, he assures us, he gives us strength, and he is with us. A little bit of the future glory in heaven, right here on earth. So when you're trying to figure out who you are and what your purpose is, and why you're here, remember that you have the Holy Spirit in you. And if you walk in step with the Spirit, rather than fighting against the Spirit, He will lead you into the right purpose. Because the Holy Spirit's within you, and He will lead you. I haven't said much about this because it was very painful to our family and to my children especially, but our dog, Jenga, passed away last year after 18 years. She was a beagle, a good dog, but if you know anything about beagles, you know that especially in the early stage before they calm down and begin to learn, um, taking them on a walk is a challenge. Because they smell something and they want to go check it. And then they see something and they want to go check it. And then they, 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 they suddenly, for no reason known to any of us, just stop and you trip over them. And they go in between my legs and the legs of the kids and they get tied up in the stroller and you get home after walking with Jenga in the early stage, you felt like you have been in a wrestling match. I mean, I had the leash, I was in control, but Jenga did not know that. Listen, don't do that to God. He's in control, so remember that. Because otherwise, you're just making yourself miserable. And God has to pull back on the leash, and, 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 and God has to grab you, and God has to put you in the right direction, and God has to teach you all over again what he's been trying to teach you. Listen, walk in step with me, and this is going to be fun. This is going to be a great adventure. You're going to enjoy it. So get in step with the Spirit. Get in step with the Spirit. So I want you to, to understand when you're trying to figure out why you're here, if you're a believer in Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit within you. And so as you begin to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, God teaches you something in his word, so you do it. God gives you some leadership, 
in a personal way, and, and so you do it. As you walk in step with the Spirit, then you begin to understand why you are here. Number five, Paul said that our ultimate purpose is to glorify God. Now, he, he, he says that twice. First, he said it of his generation, the first group of believers. He said, we were called by God to bring glory to God, or in his words, for the praise of his glory. And then in verse 14, he talks about those of us who are next generation, down the road. He says that is also our purpose for the praise of his glory. So know this, in the big picture, you exist, you are here, you were born, and you live with an ultimate purpose to glorify God. Your ultimate purpose is not to have fun, not to get rich, not to gather honor and glory for yourself. Those things are secondary, and you may get them, and you may not get them, because your ultimate purpose is to bring glory to God. And so you and I live with this quandary. I won't really find my purpose until I give up on me and surrender to him. When I decide that it's no longer about me and my wants and my desires, and it's no longer about me, 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 but it's about him, 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 then I can find out my purpose. If I seek my purpose, leaving the glory of God out of the equation, I will never really find it. But if I seek God's glory, I will find my purpose along the way. Part of what Jesus said, you must lose your life to find it. And so as we surrender ourselves to God, I want my life to count for you. I want you to be glorified. I want your work to prosper. I want it to be about you and not me. Then God blesses me by showing me how he wants me to live. And as I tell you often, it really is a great adventure of following Jesus when we begin to find his will for our lives. So I want you to know why you are here. And I want to give you two steps today on how to respond. And the first thing I'm asking you to do is this. Make a decision today. You'll have to make it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. But I'm just saying, make a decision today that you want to live your life in a way that glorifies God. It's a constant decision. Only you can make it. You want your life to glorify God. When I'm asking you to, to be honest with God and say, it's not about me and what I want. It's about you and what you want. And then God will often change the I want into he wants, and I find out that's what I wanted all along. So decide to live your way in a life that glorifies God and tell him so. And think about it. What would most benefit the cause of Christ? What would cause people to see you in me? Now, before you decide that, let me tell you this, that God's way is often the tough way. So do not make this decision lightly. In today's world, to decide to love like Christ when the whole world is intent on hate is a tough decision. 
to decide to be like Jesus taught us to be a peacemaker when everybody in the public venue doesn't want peace but wants to throw out venom and hatred and cause division and make people mad and upset to decide to be a peacemaker like Christ is a tough decision, to be honest. When nobody cares about the truth anymore is a tough decision to have integrity when the world says, do what you want, just don't get caught, is a tough decision. To do family in God's way when the world says, it doesn't matter, do whatever you want, act however you want, treat people however you want, is often a tough decision. To speak the name of Jesus when the world says, keep your faith to yourself is a tough decision. So I'm asking you to make a very tough decision. When you're deciding to live your life for the glory of God, it's going to mean some changes in how you live and maybe even in your kind of basic personality style. This is a tough decision. But it's a decision we need to make if we really want to find out what our purpose is. And by the way, this tough decision thing, that was true even of Jesus. I mentioned the most beautiful prayer in John 17. The most powerful prayer may be the one that Jesus prayed in the garden right before his arrest. Not my will, God, but yours. And it led him to his arrest, to his beating, to people laughing at him, to him being stripped naked, to him being paraded before the whole city, to him being put on a cross, and to his death. So the decision I'm asking you to make is not an easy decision to say, I want your will and not mine, doesn't necessarily lead to prosperity and wealth and, and easy times. It leads you to make the tough decisions that glorify God. And that's what Jesus did for us. So when I'm asking you to decide to live your life in a way that glorifies God, I'm well aware that this is a tough decision. This is more than surface level, come to church, walk the aisle, be baptized. This is, I'm going to do things your way in a way that glorifies you, even if the world hates me as a result. So decide to live your life in a way that glorifies God. And then once you've done that, now you know the what, then begin to ask God the how. I spoke of his general plan, that, that, that God wants your life to glorify his. He has a very specific plan, a way for you to do that. But he will not show that to you. Okay, what's my role in that? I mean, my role in that so far, what God has revealed to me is, is I'm to be a husband and a father and a grandfather and a pastor and a preacher and a counselor and, and, and a witnesser and a bunch of other things. He gave me the specific plan. But he never gave it to me in the big picture. It was day by day. And so we do what he wants day by day. And over time, he will give us the plan. I'm a guy that likes maps. I mean, when I go somewhere, like I mentioned, I, I use my GPS, but I'm the kind of guy, and I've taught all my kids to be the navigator on, on trips. Unfold the map, get it out there, and see the big picture. I don't want to just know turn left when you get to Interstate 40. I want to know how many miles are we going down Interstate 40? Where do we get off in North Carolina? What's the little roads that we have to take to get to Grandma's house? 
I want to see the big picture. I'm just telling you this ahead of time. God doesn't always give you the big picture. It's more like turn left. Do this today, and I will lead you down the path tomorrow. Because God has a specific plan for you. There are things he wants you to do. And a lot of these things, I didn't know when I went into it. People ask me, when did you decide to have nine kids? I don't ever remember making that decision, honestly. God gave them to us. Why have you stayed in this church for 22 years? Why am I here? I ask that sometimes. Because God never told me to leave and go do anything else. This is where he wants me. This is where I am. And when it's time for me to leave, he'll make it clear. He hasn't done that, and so I'm here. Some of you have been in the church a lot longer than I have. Why are you here? Because this is where God brought you, and you want, you want to do it day by day. And so, listen, I'm telling you, if you don't find your purpose in life, in Christ, you're never going to get that satisfaction that you want. If you find your purpose in Christ, you will face some good times, and you will face some tough times, just like Jesus. But you will know, I am where God wants me to be. And that is the most satisfying thing that could happen to me. I want you to know why you're here. Now, we've decided to, to go back. And I know some people think it's old-fashioned, but it, it's helpful to have what we call a response time or an invitation time. Um, and we invite you to come forward after we pray for prayer or counsel. Or, 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 and they'll be honored, honored to pray with you today. If, if you say, I don't know what God wants from me next. Can, can we pray about it? They'd be honored to do that. If you're ready to make a decision to follow Christ, we'd be honored to hear that. If your decision is to join our church, you want to seek baptism, we'd be honored to hear that. And if you want more than kind of a, a one or two minute prayer conversation, we'll be glad to take you into our conference room and talk with you about these things more deeply. So let's stand together and let's pray. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church. If we can help you in any way, please contact us. Our information is on our webpage at abcaz.net, or you can call us at 623-932-2723. Thank you, and may God bless you and your family.